0: Good morning. Ooh, that was a loud good morning. i, was, I was, wake you up. Um, we're in Hebrews chapter 4. All right, Hebrews chapter 4. You can follow along, find it in your, uh, on your app. Uh, there's notes at tcbchurch.org uh, through all the TCB Church app places. You can search all those out. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 4. As you find it, I just want to pause and say something. Paul mentioned uh, yesterday our preschool team uh, met with a group of parents, young parents, trying to figure out how do we bring those three- and four-year-olds and begin to get them into the gathering. And I just want to say something about the church really quick. The church is one, but it is made up of many parts, and those parts range. What does that mean? That means we as a church don't just all collectively go from 101 to 201 to 301, and now we're all in 401. It doesn't work that way. We are one, meaning one body made of many parts. There are immature and mature. There are young and there are old. There are various seasons of life that are assembled here together every week. And so here's the truth. We're gonna be in services and like some three-year-old is just gonna bolt underneath all the pews one day. He's just gonna, you're gonna feel something like tickling your feet and you're gonna look down it's gonna be a kid. Uh, that's gonna happen. And as a church, we're thankful for that. You know what that means? That means there are parents who are trying. There are kids who are being brought into a service in which they are being instructed, trained to understand a very key thing. There is something bigger, more important, with more authority than you. That is, that is an incredible thing. And so... We're training our kids that God is worthy of our attention and our worship. And by the way, not only do I want there to be cover for that, I also want you as a parent and you as a church to understand it works as a great lab for our growth. See, kids, if you're in the room, I want to tell you something. You're prideful. You want to know something else? I'm really prideful. You want to know something else? Your parents are really prideful. What does that mean? That means we turn the attention back to ourselves. And we can get really insecure and defensive if we don't like the way that's going. And we do that in no place greater than our homes. Like, it's just tough. And so there's that idea, don't tell me how to parent my kids. The church should tell you how to parent your kids. We should be in that together. And so here's the thing. When you look at that child and you tell them to do that thing and that child looks back at you and goes, no, that's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem any parent has faced. And so what we're doing in those moments is we're going in and we're saying, listen, there's authority. God has given me, mom, dad, authority in your life and you're teaching that child something. You're training something to them when you train them to respect your authority. There is something, there is someone who is supreme, who has more authority than you, and we're training that. So it's just going to happen, and we're going to walk through that. And so if you're one of those parents, and you're in the room, and it's your kid crawling under the pews, and you're like, oh my goodness, look around, find some Other parents and people have been there before. Ask them questions. You're not inferior. You're not losing it. You're just a part of the training and discipling of the next generation. And we as a church want to embrace that. Not just by like always kind of closing them off and hoping one day they catch it. But by training and teaching them, leading them into worship. The recognition that God is worthy. That he is supreme. That's a cool thing. And so I just want us as a church to celebrate that. And so when you hear the baby cry, when the kid runs through, figure out, again, how to embrace that within the context of mission. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that pursues that. It's a good thing. Hebrews chapter 4. We've been in this series, now our second series in Hebrews, first we looked at Jesus as the better revelation. Revelation. Recently, we've been in Jesus is the better rest. That's actually our big truth this morning. Jesus is the better rest. For we who have believed enter a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath rest. Not a nap. Remember a few weeks ago? Not a nap. Not some respite. Not just another well. Remember, the parallel in the John chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman. Jesus said, look, this water, you drink it, you're just going to be thirsty again. But I give you living water. which you'll never thirst again. A Sabbath rest, finished, completed, peace with God, absolute. And so we're in the middle of this single letter this letter to the hebrews and in it the author is making an argument and we've been kind of walking through that argument chapter one started with jesus as the better revelation god in full made himself known in the son through jesus we know god and hence the revelation proclaimed in jesus surpassed that of heavenly servants and the angels, and surpass that of earthly servants, even heroes like Moses and Joshua who delivered so much. While these creations are servants in creation, Jesus, the Son of God, is the creator over creation. He alone brings deliverance. He alone brings rest. A rest that is incomparable to that that would be brought by those like Moses or Joshua. And as a result, our confidence, our hope of rest, of peace with God, is fully in Jesus. In Jesus and Jesus alone. Therefore, do not neglect his deliverance don't be deceived don't neglect it and you may think I would never do that and that's the same thought that these Hebrews born into this line of Abraham would have thought I would never do such a thing and so the author reminds them of Israel's rebellion Gives them an example And so in verse 19 of chapter 3, so we see today with hindsight that they, faithless Israel, were unable to enter the promised land, its rest, because of unbelief. Therefore, take care. Remember last week? Take care, exhort one another. Do not be deceived and fall away. Don't look upon God's revelation and not enter his rest. For saving faith holds firm to the end. In other words, it is not something that just exists in the past. It is active in our lives today. Today. And so Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Now we're going to do something as we read through it kids, any any kids learning to read? You've kind of been learning to read. You're in school. Any kids in that spot? Yeah, me too. I feel like I'm still learning to read. It's hard for me. Um, And so sometimes I read things and think, man, that could have been a lot simpler. We're reading an argument, and uh, we use the ESV primarily. Sometimes we use the NASB at Tri-Cities. And they're very much kind of word-by-word word translations. There are paraphrase versions that go kind of more thought-by-thought. Thought. And sometimes the ESV can therefore read a little choppy. This section of Scripture is one of those. So if you look at that and you go, what is going on? I'm with you, okay? So what we're going to do is I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for us. And so what I want you to do is keep the text out as we read through it, And then just look through it as kind of we go back again and just paraphrase it. Verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Oh, i got to do something. I started a debate last week. Started a debate. And I'm going to tell you how it went down and you can help me. I said least. Let us fear least. This was the debate. Someone comes up to me and they said, you know, least and less aren't the same word. I said, I know, but you said least. I mess up stuff all the time. This was on purpose. I know less is the correct pronunciation, but I was raised in East Tennessee, and I thought we all just said least. And so I have had this debate, who says least and who says less, and I'm finding out that it might just be my family that says least. Uh, If you also say least and know the difference, I would really like your help because I am losing this uh, debate really bad, okay? And so um, it's kind of like the people who say warsh. They know there's not an R in there. They just say it anyway. You ready? Ready? Let us fear least less. Any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We have received the promise of entering God's rest. Similar to the Israelites... In the wilderness. And we saw how that ended for them. They died and didn't obtain God's rest because of their unbelief. They heard the good news delivered by Joshua and Caleb, but their faith didn't hold until the end. Now, today, God has revealed good news to us as he did to them. So let's proceed with cautious humility. Verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works and again in this passage he said they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience again he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward and the words already quoted today if you hear his voice Do not harden your hearts. We who have believed enter God's rest. Remember what God promised. He said, in my wrath, I made an oath. They will not enter my rest. Notice, God promised this after his finished work. In Genesis 2, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. But in Psalm 95, God declared, they shall not enter my rest. So, God's rest was available. That's not why those Moses led out of Egypt never reached his rest. They didn't enter God's rest because they were disobedient. They rejected God's revelation and didn't believe him to be who he revealed himself to be. So today, as in the wilderness, God's rest is still available, there for people to enter. He continues refreshing his promise, appointing today as the day to enter. Just as he did through David in Psalm 95, many years after he spoke to Israel in the wilderness. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Think about it. If Joshua delivered God's rest, God wouldn't have spoken to David about another rest years later. There wouldn't have been a need. So there remains a better rest still available for the people of God to enter. A Sabbath where those who have entered rest and peace from all their labors as God did from his now because it remains available let us purpose to enter that rest today knowing if our faith does not hold we will fail to enter god's sabbath rest by the same sort of disobedience by the same unbelief so we've been building to this big truth and you see it here jesus is the better rest and it's an argument that the author is laying out for us and it's built on these two parallels and you saw them both One is the conquest, the other is the Sabbath. And what I want to do is walk us through three big ideas, and you're going to see these parallels throughout. First, entrance into Jesus' rest remains. The original readers might have read this, and they might be thinking and have a question, well, hasn't God's rest already happened I mean, wasn't the entrance back then? Did we miss it? Are we in it? Is this it? And the answer to all those questions is no. No. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So we're going to take some time this morning, and I want to unpack all that's kind of summarized in that so then. All right? So first thing Entrance to God's rest was available then to the wilderness generation. It was already available at that time. Verse 4, God rested on the seventh day. It's a reference back to Genesis 2 and creation. You remember in Genesis 2, 2, on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day From all his work that he had done. God's rest was established. It was in place. Long before the promised land. It was already there. He was in it. Therefore entrance was available to this generation. This wilderness generation. So don't think God's rest wasn't ready. And that's why they didn't enter no they didn't enter because they were disobedient with unbelief it was available that day the day they chose not to believe Joshua and Caleb the day they chose not to believe God it was available that day It was present and so you begin to see this expectation that's being communicated That through faith, they would Sabbath with God that day, this day. God's rest wasn't a land. It wasn't a possession. Listen, God's rest was himself. The land, the possession, that is just a picture of what was in him. God's rest was himself. Therefore, since God is at rest, those in him have entered into his rest. So not only was that rest available then, the entrance to God's rest is available now. Now. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on he references Psalm 95 remember inspired by the Holy Spirit the author of Hebrews in 3 7 says the Holy Spirit says not just David the Holy Spirit says today when David writes it he says today today is the day years after Joshua and deliverance of the promised land David writes, today, if the time of entrance had been fulfilled, if it was closed, if it was in the past, why did God say today? It's part of the argument that the author is making. And I recognize something, okay? I I get it. I'm where you are. We don't look at God's rest and in any way confuse that with the promised land. With Canaan, we don't look back, that's kind of lost on us. None of us are walking in and thinking, we're in that at this moment. I get that. However, the principal temptation to view God's rest through an earthly lens, that remains with us. To measure it through what we see, what we touch, that remains with us. So a quick refresher on Joshua, all right? So a few key points. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is commissioned by God to lead Israel. Moses is dead. Now he was a great leader. Remember, he delivered Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves Into up to the doorstep of the promised land. He delivered the law to them. I mean, an incredible leader. And now he's dead, along with that whole generation that died in the wilderness. And so God makes a promise to Joshua, this leader of Israel. And in verse 5, he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Chapter 1, verse 5, an incredible promise. As I was with Moses, remember Moses? That's like incredible stuff. That's parting of the Red Sea, that's plagues on Egypt, that's manna from heaven. Moses is the dude that comes down off the mountain and his face is glowing like a light bulb. As I was with Moses, Joshua, I will be with you. And there's an expected response communicated in verse 6 Joshua, then you be strong and courageous. Note the application of faith. This isn't about Joshua's willpower. This is be strong and courageous because I am with you. I will fight for you. This isn't about your ability or your work or your effort. This is about your connection to me. So your response, be strong and courageous. And this is exemplified in the battle plan given to them. Remember, they look out at seven years of war in chapter 1. Their lives are on the line. People will die. It's war. In verse 8, the Lord says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Now, if I'm Joshua and I'm hearing this, I just got to own it in my flesh. This is not the strategy I was kind of hoping for. I'm wanting here are the blueprints to machine guns, here's some fighter jets, here's some tanks. I'm wanting something that I can touch, I can see, and is going to bring me a sense of comfort that I am not going to die, that I'm not going to lead these people and their children to death. Instead, the battle plan they get is spend your day thinking about me, turning to my revelation, being careful To build your life day by day around your faith in me. The result, verse 13, the Lord your God is providing, he's doing the work, providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. And so in the chapters after, there's a great conquest. God fights for Israel. Perhaps you remember it. They cross the Jordan on dry ground. It's one of the first things that happened. That's an incredible testimony of how God was with Joshua just as he was with Moses. The walls of Jericho just fall as they're obedient. The sun stands still. And in one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture, there is a battle in which God, it's like he's in the heavens, raining down hellstones on the enemy, and in just this subtle reference to the power of God in chapter ten, verse eleven, they want to make sure God gets the credit, and they say God got more than Israel with the sword—an incredible conquest in which God fought for his people and delivered his promise. And in Joshua twenty-three, Joshua was old. The land is mostly theirs. In verse 1, a long time afterward, are you ready? When the Lord had given rest to Israel. Again, I know it's lost on us, but I want you to pause and make sure you understand the temptation. We are tempted to worship the blessing To be captivated by the blessing. Hashtag blessed, right? And not the God who provided it. God gave rest to Israel. Joshua's conclusion in verse 3. It is the Lord your God who fought for you. Verse 10, one man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Verse 11, be very careful therefore to love the Lord your God. For if, this is important, for if you turn back, he goes on to say, know for certain that you will perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Notice something. God has delivered a measure of rest to Israel. It's there. But if Israel compromises in unbelief, if they are deceived and led astray from God, they will lose their blessing. And that's exactly what happens. They turn away, they're deceived, they fall away, and they themselves are once again captive, enslaved. They are without peace, without rest. So the rest that is delivered through Joshua listen wasn't sufficient. It left more work to be done, like the law. What's the point? Even if Joshua would have led this wilderness generation into the rest of the promised land, it was only a picture of rest and not the real thing. Not Sabbath rest. Not God's rest. Not the rest to be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And you see this unpacked in the other parallel. God's rest is defined by his Sabbath, not the promised land. Again, verse 4, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. God's rest is complete, perfect, at peace. Go back, just kind of catch a picture. Remember in the garden, Adam and Eve's unbelief? It broke their rest again stop don't think of rest like a nap think of rest perfect peace right standing before God before they are at perfect peace with God they're not anxious they're not worried let me give you a, a little parallel that you see in the text it's just obvious man they are walking around naked exposed they're not anxious they're not worried they don't feel exposed immediately after they turned their trust and their faith in God and who he revealed himself to be to themselves and they sin immediately after they are working toiling to cover and hide themselves they're worried They're anxious. They're now at work. That is the opposite of being at rest. There's something I need to do. And again, you see that expectation that through faith, that they would Sabbath with God. They would find the rest, their peace in him that day. Joshua didn't deliver Sabbath rest earthly blessings you and I experience, listen, they do not deliver Sabbath rest. See, this is the lie, little rabbit, this is the lie of all this self care kind of theology that swirls about us in western culture. That somehow you're going to find your rest in some other thing. I didn't come through Joshua or Moses or the law but there's good news what angel and prophet could not deliver Jesus has delivered and through faith in him God's Sabbath rest is accessible today today entrance into his rest is accessible today you see this again in that parallel with the Samaritan woman you remember in John chapter 4 verse 13 Jesus said to her everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again the water that I will give him, will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Remember the woman's response in verse 15? The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Here's, here's the confusion, you ready? Or have to come here to draw water. She struggled to see past her earthly circumstances. In her pride, that was the focus of her lens, herself, what she would touch, what she would do, what she would drink. However, Jesus was revealing himself that day, presenting himself as supreme, over all of her circumstances over all of her needs even water he wasn't just another well watch the fact is in saving faith do you know what that lady would probably do for the rest of her life go back to that well It was a picture, it was an illustration that her hope wasn't in the water that would come from that well, that ultimately, ultimately, her hope for everything, for her life was in Jesus and Jesus alone. She would see Him in faith and rest in Him. Everything sabbath with god he was speaking to her soul her soul not her earthly circumstance and so again see the expectation that through faith she would sabbath with jesus that day second big idea fear failing to obtain jesus's rest Verse 1, back in chapter 4, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Israel witnessed the revelation of God through the Exodus signs and wonders, his authority. They even had enough measure of faith to leave. I mean, we tell the story of walking through the Red Sea on dry ground but I mean let's just be honest that would be a terrifying thing to do but their faith did not hold until the end they died and their dead bodies scattered the wilderness they didn't obtain God's rest so today We have witnessed, we have experienced, seen, heard the revelation of God through Jesus. A better revelation. Not of a temporary rest, but of God's Sabbath rest. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear Cautious humility, knowing if we reject his revelation and unbelief, we too, like them, will fail to reach God's Sabbath rest. And there is no other rest. No other way to be at peace with God. And so our third and final big idea, strive To enter God's rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. With cautious humility examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. You would not fail to reach God's Sabbath rest. You say, when the author of Hebrews is saying back to us, today. Today. Today is the day to examine your faith. If God gives you another day, if God gives you a tomorrow, that is the day to examine your faith. It is not a memory that you look back to. Listen, church, with cautious humility, we search our hearts. We take care. We exhort one another that we might not be deceived. That our faith might hold through every circumstance, through every season of life that our hope and our confidence would be in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen to his words in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. Notice the parallel. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is the better revelation. He has made God known. Verse 28, So come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. From your circumstances, no, listen, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There is rest in Jesus. Not something so temporary as a nap or a respite. Or a cup of water. There is a Sabbath rest for your soul. Finished and complete. Not of merit through law. Rather by God's grace through faith. So take care. Exhort one another. God has vowed. Those who are disobedient in unbelief will not enter his rest. Do not be deceived. There is Sabbath rest in no one else, only Jesus. Do not be deceived. There is Sabbath rest by no other means, only faith. Today is the day. Today is the day Jesus says, never thirst again. Today is the day Jesus says, sell it all and follow me. Today is the day Jesus says die to self and find life in me. Today is the day we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Today is the day we hold fast to our faith. While dead in our sin, God in his great mercy and love sent Jesus, His Son, who gave His life, paid our death penalty, that through faith in Him, we might live in His Sabbath rest. Free for toil, our work, our anxiety, our sin. For He is Savior. He is God. He is supreme. He, Jesus, and Jesus alone is my rest. Here one more time, Hebrews 4, 7, again, he appoints a certain day, today. Today is the day, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, you are worthy of our life. Humble us. Bring our attention to today. And by your grace, give us a faith that holds until the end, that we might enter the rest, the Sabbath rest, that is only in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.